Hello and welcome to the Hidden Why podcast, episode 1044. This is my interview with Emilio Diaz Barroso, and we're discussing the mystery of you. Enjoy. Hello, Emilio. Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. Great to have you here today with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Live from, uh, you're over in Los Angeles, is it? Or I am. Over that way somewhere, yeah. Yeah, nice. Well, welcome to the show, mate. We've got a uh, new book that you've just launched uh, recently, The Mystery of You, Freedom is Closer Than You Think. So interested to discuss the book and, and what you share in there and how it relates to your journey. Wonderful. Yeah, I'd love to, love to talk about it. Um, can you give us a bit of your backstory, Emilio, where you, where you come sure. from? I know you're an entrepreneur and on the board of many companies. Yeah, I, I was raised in Mexico City and I was raised in a socioeconomic landscape that was pretty unique. I was, uh, um, as it is the case with many developing countries, there's typically a few groups of families that are, um, that are most prominent. And I was part of one of those families. So my reality was, um, was pretty skewed. So while it was financially very comfortable, um, I got exposed to the discontents of money and power from an early age. Uh, didn't dissuade me from pursuing money and power. It actually triggered my A-type personality to go and achieve as much as I could. But in looking back, I uh, I think it was pretty apparent that this sense of okayness was not necessarily correlated with how big our bank accounts were or how much people uh, respected us or how many employees we had, because I certainly grew up around a lot of that and didn't witness a, a contentment necessarily. That's where I came from. And then I went to school in the East Coast in, in the United States and decided to carve my own path and start from scratch here in the U.S. Okay. And I've been in the U.S. for about 26 years. I started a lot of businesses, really A-type driven. And uh, most what of them- What do you mean A-type driven? Like I just, I was really outrunning deeply this idea that uh, I felt unworthy or not good enough. So I would compare myself with anyone and I would apply all my fuel towards really trying to prove myself. And the metrics for proving myself at an early age were, can I get the pretty girl? Can I have the nice car? But then eventually it'd be, can I get the biggest deals? Can I have the biggest business and uh, or the biggest sales? And that was really what was driving my life for a while. And then it pivoted towards spirituality. And I thought that, okay, this is great because spiritually speaking, I'm going to uh, snap out of this rat race. But what ended up happening is that I turned spirituality into the new uh, bank account, if you may. And I started measuring and comparing myself in terms of how conscious I felt at any given moment. Hmm. So the, the, the software that I speak about, an operating system in the book, it's almost like my, my software was really outdated. And I think most of our software is still running with programming that was put in place some time ago. Yeah, and I, a lot of the investment that I do, and a lot of the business that I'm involved with, are you know are individuals that are really committed to disrupting industries, and uh, particularly in the tech space. And I mentor a lot of them, and it's often strange to me that they don't think about disrupting themselves uh, and questioning a lot of the assumptions that they carry. Right. Okay. What age were you when you sort of started taking this um, spiritual journey? Mm. I started banging my head more strongly because it wasn't as graceful as it sounds, maybe in my early thirties. So I had enough success and I had seen enough of a sort of a, of 
the fallacy that I was holding on to that at some point it was going to be enough, but I was still, I still had a lot of fuel in me to chase. And, uh, and it wasn't necessarily prompted by anything in particular other than a discontent that I wasn't comfortable accepting because it felt so selfish and I felt guilty because my life was so good on the outside that, uh, how could I even have a moment of, of sort of feeling not that things weren't okay. Hmm. But there was this deep hum underneath that something was missing. Right. What sort of businesses were you looking, what was, were you working in? Uh, at first in my twenties, everything I could, I would say yes to everything. I literally had yeah. to have a, a, a notebook of all the businesses I was involved with because I had fear of missing out if I, uh, if I said no to a potential business, but I, 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 I was wholesaling telecom minutes. I was, I had a marketing company. I was actually the Hispanic marketing agency for Coca-Cola at one point with you know two employees. And I was just, I was really speaking out of my, uh, <laughs> out of my ass if, well, in the profanity, but it, what, what ended up turning the shift, I, I started making films and uh, started getting into tech. And those were some of the businesses that started doing a little better for me. Okay. Um, yeah. What sort of films? Like documentaries or just? No, no, no. All sorts of big, big feature films. films. Yeah. Yeah. I, I produced a bunch of them. And then I uh, was part of the founding team that we started a domestic distribution studio. And uh, we financed and produced uh, and released twilight which was a big vampire movie yeah. that uh was successful and that was helpful yeah, well. yeah. yeah ended up selling that business to lionsgate yeah done a fair few things by the sounds of it what's that done a fair few things by the sound of it i I've, yeah i was running fast yeah. um i was running fast and uh, uh but it was a very unsustainable run and a lot of the mentoring that i do nowadays uh, or when i'm on these boards i uh i often am trying to invite people to inquire into the nature of why they're running because there's a difference yeah. between running for the love of creating and producing and challenging yourself and and then the other type of running which to me i equated to almost i was on the toes of my feet on the on the on the, on the front of my feet forcing me to take the next step uh, and yeah. the invitation that i received at one point was what if it was fully on the on the flats of my my feet i could still take the next step but not because i was going to fall but because i was intentional with it and that was a big shift for me mm. well, the spiritual awakening and you found a, a greater sense of freedom um in in this process I'm, I'm guessing by the title of your book yeah i uh well <laughs> I, I discovered a different type of freedom than the one I thought I was going after. Yeah. See, I, th I thought I was going to be free from all the things that were hard in my humanity, free from experiencing difficulties or challenges. And I was finally going to get this place. What I, what I perceived the gurus had in the monasteries, right? This eternal bliss and untouched by anything. But the freedom that I arrived at and that I continue to discover and experience is a freedom that is more of an openness towards everything that life has to offer. So it's a, it's a more fully embodying of the humanity, which includes the heartbreak, includes all of that. Uh, but now there's less of a character. It's almost like I, I realized that it's almost like we're playing a video game and all of a sudden realizing that you are the character of the video game, but also the programmer and also the player. And you can still 
go and play this video game and be Super Mario or whomever you want to be. But what happens to Mario is is less uh, relevant. Uh, it's less life or death. Mm. That's the kind of freedom that that I think is possible for all of us. And how I used to hold it is that that freedom is only possible if you're a guru living in a monastery. And the reality is that that freedom is, is available in the middle of the chaos of the Los Angeles traffic. I hear that often. Why, why is that, that people think that um, that freedom is only available to those people, the, the monks and the people that live in the monasteries and meditate all day? Yeah, that was, that was my experience. Of, that was what I thought because I, all the books that I was reading from people about freedom and inner peace to the degree that I was interested in, because there were a lot of people talking about self-help books and there's a lot of self-help out there and discover who you are and empowerment and affirmations. And, and that's all psychologically great. But the truest level of awakening, which was a questioning of the identity as a whole, to me was only talked about from these individuals that were dedicated teachers that were wearing robes and sort of meditating all day and certainly didn't have families or, or businesses to them. So it just didn't it didn't match what my life circumstances were like. And I noticed yeah. that a lot of the people that I mentor, even devoted spiritual seekers and people that are really committed to self-growth and, and, and evolving, still hold this belief that uh, that it's okay. It's almost like we've normalized stress and anxiety. Like, you know, that's just I'll just figure out ways to cope around it and navigate around it, which is what I used to do. When in reality there's a completely different orientation that's available. Right. So to try and remove the stress and anxiety rather than just find tools to cope with it. Yeah, see, I, I'd like to think of, of, you know, when we talk about states of flow or, or being in the zone, and, and a lot of athletes talk about this, or sometimes even it's become more normal vernacular in the uh, entrepreneurship world. We, it's almost like my sense of it, and I'm curious what your sense of it is, but it's, it's almost like this, there's always this layer in between me and the environment. And in this layer lives the narrator. And this narrator is telling me what I think about this situation. It's like, I like what's happening. I don't like what's happening. Too good, too bad. Hold on to it. Push it away. And these states of flow seem to be moments when this intermediary between me and the environment gets very thin. There's less of a, of a commentary on what's happening. And there's more of an intimacy with what's happening. And, and those states of flow... The challenge with them is that when we reflect on them, the layer is back online and saying, oh, that was a really good thing. How do I recreate it? But that's the layer in itself getting reintroduced. The, the flow happened in its sense because the layer was, was diminished. So there's an opportunity, and my, what I invite to in the book is a bit of a roadmap to how do, we, how do we recognize when this layer is in place and thin it out so that we can have this greater sense of flow and intimacy to such a degree that we almost lose the sense of separation between us and the rest of life. And that yeah. sounds great when you're meditating, but how do you do that when you're in the middle of a business deal or sort of your business partner is uh, lying to you or stealing from you? Hmm. Hmm. So do you feel you can find that, that, that state of flow kind of in, in meditation more so than in, in everyday life if you're not practiced I, I think people. I think when I was started to meditate, I wanted to recreate those states in meditation. The problem is that I was approaching meditation like I was approaching the rest of my day, with a very thick intermediator. There was a layer between me and meditation. I was saying, "Oh, now is the time when I'm supposed to not be thinking." If thoughts were arising, I would say, "Oh, thoughts shouldn't arise. My mind should be quieter. 
I shouldn't be moving. I shouldn't be thinking. All these shoulds and shouldn'ts were essentially the control tower that was telling me what was happening and, and had an opinion about it. My best meditations were states of flow and are states of flow when this layer narrows down. And my this, the, the distinction between my meditative state and my state when I'm in a board meeting or making a deal, there's, is much, they're much more similar now because I, I notice when this layer is on board and that doesn't mean that I can't use my mind to think and, and, and plan and do all these things. It's just that it happens. It's almost like hiking. And I equate it to hiking because we can all, if we've ever hiked, we can imagine what it would be like to hike and have an opinion about everything as we're hiking. Mm. Or should my foot go? Should I step that way? Should I go this way? Is that brush this way? Is that? And yet when we're hiking, somehow we make our way, we know direction where we're going and we make our way to where we're going without overthinking it. And it's kind of a graceful experience. At times, yeah. that may be required for the mind to come online and say, it's getting too dark, maybe I should turn around, or that looks like a scary ledge. But that's not really our norm. And we don't really need to be in our heads to be hiking. And I, my invitation is that that could be the same for, for life. Life could be a hike. Hmm. Yeah, and you do find that um, meditative sort of feeling when you go hiking. Yeah. And, and, I, and if you inquire, what is it about hiking that makes, that feels meditative? It's probably that you're just taking one step at a time and trusting and following whatever is happening. And you're, you're engaging with the environment in a much more natural way. Mm. Mm. And if we start noticing the ways in which we become unnatural in our day-to-day environments, then we can start peeling away those layers. Do you think it's something to do with a, a sort of clear um, start and finish when you go hiking? I mean, it's not clear, but... You know, when you start and you know that, you know, it's going to go a loop or somewhere you're going to finish and that's all that really matters. So when you're actually walking, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. You're not, you're not thinking about the end. You're not thinking yeah. about anything and in between because you don't have anything else to think about other than just walk. Yeah. Yeah. And yet if, for example, and I don't know if this is your experience, but if I'm hiking, I'm trying to get to the top, but all of a sudden it gets dark sooner or I come across it rains or, I'll turn around or I make appropriate actions and I don't have the attachment of, Oh, I needed to get to that next hill over there. And my identity and my sense of self and well being and my sense of worth is attached to getting to that hill. Yeah. So I have expectations. Yeah. And even with expectations, hiking is something that probably carries less meaning to all of us. Mm. I think that's what gets in the way of, of most of our attachment is when we identify ourselves with our, what we're producing. Yeah. And, and the way I, I, I mentor people often, particularly because uh, sort of the word purpose is something that's very prevalent for us. And I notice a lot of people have stress a lot about their purpose because they, they start thinking about what is my purpose and then what am I here to do? And how do I discover a lot of this self-help narrative is find what you love and you'll sort of never work a day of your life or go and find your purpose and you'll be in service to humanity. And when we think of purpose in terms of what we are doing, it can be a very tricky thing because inevitably at some point, what we are doing will have its ups and downs. We won't Mm -hmm. enjoy it or something won't go right. And I, I, I speak with a lot of people that are going through these crises because what they thought was their purpose all of a sudden is not as fulfilling. And it's like they, they question everything in their life 
or people that haven't found their purpose and are like thinking that they're wasting their days because now they're sort of their life is, is meaningless. And, and what I invite people to consider is that their purpose is much more, it's, it, it's easier to think of purpose in terms of how they're going about what they're doing than what it is they're doing. So I invite them to identify qualities that make them feel purposeful. And then if, if you're embodying those qualities that make you feel purposeful, then the what is almost a secondary. It's a byproduct of how you're showing. Mm. Mm. So is that a good place to start with helping people on this journey to, to enlightenment, I suppose? Yeah, it's, it's inquiring. Like what, what are those qualities that are important to you at any given Like moment? values, qualities and values? Yeah. Oh. yeah, you can call them values, yeah. And, and, and it could be how, how do you see it's often for me when, when, when qualities or values are important to us and they become our compass, it's, it's easier to course correct and there's less need for the mind to get involved and make decisions because it, it's almost like we're embodying this, this value and then we know when we're out of line and, and it's almost like it feels like a dissonance. Yeah. And I think that the biggest thing in any, uh, exploration is is too because there's I grew up Roman Catholic and and it was sort of questioning was almost a sacrilege and I think the biggest tool for me has been this capacity to question everything all of our assumptions like approach life like a scientist it's like what works what doesn't work and what I what I the tools that, that I lay out in the in the book they're not universal they're simply things that have seemed to work for me and for other people that I've witnessed that just invite a deeper curiosity about how we go about doing the things that we go about and who we take ourselves to be. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the process for you going on that journey to this state of feeling of unworthiness, I suppose, and trying to fulfill yourself through all these external measures um, and then discovering this other side, the real you um, and aligning yourself with those qualities, I guess, maybe that's where it started. Is that, how you felt it happened or was it more, more over a period of time? It, it was, a, it, was, it was about maybe a 10 to 12 year period. And, and it, it, I like how you summarize it so linearly and beautifully, because it was a lot of tripping and a lot of uh, building of new egoic identities. Cause yeah. uh, that was really what my ego was most invested in creating this sense of being special and being valued. And I, I love feeling valued. And that's kind of what I would train my whole life is like, if I have something that, is desirable, whether that's money or access or network or, or even my way of being, being kind, and then then I'll be safe deep down. Then I, I won't be rejected or abandoned, which was really the deepest fear that I was, I was touching upon. And I thought that all these things were going to help me not experience that. And when, after quite a bit of financial success and, and really not feeling like that was sufficing, then then spirituality became this new thing that I started chasing. And I, I describe it a little bit like a, like a balloon. If you can imagine a balloon to which I am putting air in and air was the accumulation, the recognition, the, all of these things, the bank account, all these things that I was blowing into this balloon and growing it were what, what was making me feel good. And I would, have this balloon in comparison to other balloons out there. And if my balloon was bigger, then I would feel better about myself. And if it was bigger in terms of how I thought I should be or where I should be in my path, then I was feeling good. But the balloon always had like a little pinprick hole in it. And it was always deflating just a little bit. And I had to always keep on inflating. And sometimes 
the inflation kept up with the deflation. Sometimes it didn't. And that's how good I was feeling at any given moment. What, what deeps, what the, the value of, of this spiritual journey for me was that at some point during a meditation retreat, I was, I was in like day nine of a 10 day. And that was, when I say I applied my A type and by A type to your point, I, I mean, my, my, all my fuel towards enlightenment, I was doing eight to 10 silent, week long silent meditations, meditation retreats a year. Like I was, this is my path. And at one of those, this pinprick hole in the balloon all of a sudden became a gash. And the container that created my sense of self and my identity all of a sudden was no more. And all the mechanisms that I had to blow up air into this container had nowhere else to go. And it was incredibly disorienting. And that left me with this deep recognition that I wasn't ever the balloon. I was always the air. And in the absence of the balloon, they're just air. And, and it allowed me to see things with a clarity that wasn't there before. Because now I can, I can do the things that I do, but my sense of self is not necessarily attached or determined by what I'm actually doing at any given moment. Right. The stakes got significantly lower. Right. Well, less expectations on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, there's almost like when there's, when there's less of a self the expectations become less heavy. Right. The, the big self carries with it a lot of weight. And, and this lighter sense of self was, was just lighter. And from there, then I could get clear. It's like, what are the qualities that are important in my life? And then align my actions with those qualities. And what's fascinating is that my whole previous structure would have been terrified if I had told it that this was going to happen. Because be like, well, then we're just going to be a couch potato. We're going to just sit back and do nothing and nothing's going to happen. And it's all good. It's all air. And what I've found out of this, the byproduct is, is an incredibly engaged way of being. I've, I've been more involved in more businesses and doing more things. Like, like, so, like, I'm in like 14 boards right now. I run two family offices. I have a venture fund. I, I'm doing all of this. And yet I'm doing it from a place that feels uh, incredibly free. Yeah. And the biggest difference is that I used to think that suffering was a normal part of life. Yeah. And I've come to realize suffering is actually optional. Not pain, but suffering. And there's a distinction. Mm. Yeah, I think if you can let go of that, that ego of self that you sort of block yourself into. Um, I get and I hear that a lot speaking with people on the on the podcast that it seems like a, a pretty dismal way to live, like no ambitions, like what's your goals? But it's not the case at all. It's just about letting go of that and not attaching yourself to these uh, expectations, which allows you to then flow more gracefully towards whatever it is that you're, you're doing in the moment and going towards. Sounds yeah. uh, sounds like a bit of a dream really to get to that that point, but uh, obviously possible. It, it, it really is. And I think that's, that's what I'm most interested in sharing, that it's to that part of me, that used to say, yeah, that's, that sounds great. And maybe one day when I'm going to have enough time to do all that, it's really, really available here. And the tools and the mechanisms and direction is there to, to explore it for ourselves. Yeah. And it's not this grandiose experience of an enlightened being that is floating in the Himalayas. It's very urban and very, very grounded. Hmm. Hmm. Um, you said something else there that I'm just trying to tap back into and I've, I've let it go. Um, what, what sort of meditation practices do you 
do yourself daily now. I mean, obviously you've gone through many retreats and things like that. I'm not sure if you keep those things up, but what's your daily sort of practice look like? It's it's a lot less uh, structured now. It's yeah. it's a lot more like hiking, and it's right. it's a it's just a meditative experience. But it's not it's not in the cushion. It's not sitting down. It's a, it's noticing at any point when this layer between me and life grows thicker, and when I notice okay. that, just the awareness of it brings back the the direct experience. See, I, I tend to drop into my body. I love using the body as an access point to the moment. Because when I when I used to read all these texts, they're saying they were talking about being present, and I approached being present similarly to how I approached meditation or everything. I was like, okay, roll up my sleeves, let me be present now. I was like, let me create this situation, this experience of being present. Yeah. But it was more of that layer, right? That was gauging: am I present? Am I not present? And if if I instead ask the question differently, and it's not how do I get present, but it's actually can I notice the presence that's already here? It's almost like it's a different orientation, which drops me back into the presence that's, that's available at any given moment. And now it's not, there's no, no doing on my part. It's more of a, an unraveling and the, the layering of all this stuff that I've been carrying at any given moment. Hmm. How, how do you go about explaining this sort of, these ideas that you're explaining to me right now? And I guess I'm, gripping it mostly um, just because of the experiences I've had in talking with other people that have talked about it previously. But for someone that's novice to this, some of these ideas and concepts would sound quite, oh, you know, woo-woo and hard to, hard to understand. Totally. Yeah? Totally. And, and I, I, I thank you for bringing it back to that because part of my mind is I'm very mental and I can use my mind and I love sort of approaching things with total skepticism. So when it gets metaphysical and woo-woo, it's, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, then it's just conceptual. That's just a theory, right? And, and, and I have a thing with dogmas and beliefs. You don't believe anything. Question it and experience it for yourself. So if somebody was telling me anything, like, how do I, uh, I'm confused, or this, I would invite you, like, feel into the body. Like saying, oh, this is totally woo-woo, and I, I feel disengaged, for example. It's like, okay, what does disengaged feel like in your body right now? Mm. And someone may say, well, I feel, and, and if, if people tend not to be in their bodies, they'll be like, well, well I, I think it makes no sense. I'm like, no, no, not what you think. What does it feel like? And even if they keep going to the thinking, it's like, okay, what does thinking feel like? Is it pressure in your head? Is it, and most of the times we, we report energies in sort of our throat, our head, our chest, our gut. And just in someone saying, oh, woo-woo, this is, this is boring or this makes no sense or I don't get it. I feel a heaviness in my shoulders or in my chest. It's like, okay, that, there, you're present right that moment. The moment that you're connecting with what your body is experiencing. And it's, and it's an invitation to just be here through the body. Mm. Because the, the mind operates in time, right? It's, it's always what's going to happen, what happened, and it's always in this function of, of future and past. But the body is very much here. Yeah, yes, sure. So that's, that's to me always the gateway. It's like what, what is, whatever you're experiencing feel like in this moment. What yeah. is confusion? What is, yeah. So did you find this like a practice of meditation was the training for you to then find this level where you're at now where you can sort of have this level of awareness in any given moment and go, okay, hang on, this ain't sort of blocking there. 
for then you to to come back into your body and reconnect with the present. Was it that training of meditation that got you to this point now? Yeah, meditation was very helpful. It was mostly helpful because it showed me all of the ways in which I managed to keep things under the surface. Yeah. Uh, because with distractions, it was very easy for me to always just move away from what was happening, uh, yeah. even sort of the energies that I was feeling about it. But after, after a couple of days of silence and you start losing distractions, it, it gets really uh, apparent what things are surfacing. So it was definitely great training. But it was also great training. I, 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 I did a master's in spiritual psychology, which was very helpful because it, it helped me explore things. And when, when somebody, you know, when you're growing up and somebody's sort of doing a bicep and flexing their muscles and you try to flex, but there's no muscle to flex. And you're like, it's in there somewhere, but you can't even know how to flex a muscle. That's kind of how I used to feel when, when people would tell me, what does it feel like in your body? It's like, I don't, I don't even know how to approach that. Like, where, how, what does that mean? And just by slowly saying, okay, what, can you feel the soles of your feet? And it's like, yeah, I can feel them. Okay. So that's that. And it just started to, can I feel my bum resting on the chair and my back? Okay. And then I just start shifting the attention from this. It's almost like it drops from this very mental active, which is where I spend most of my day into this very now physical in the body. And then slowly, like I would experience a lot of, like one of my big monsters, emotionally speaking, was jealousy. Because I, I grew up in a, in a household where my parents were divorced, but they pretended to not be divorced. So, I would, so they had an agreement that they would have different romantic relationships, but they wouldn't tell our kids, our, us the kids, because we were too young. But I would mm. perceive very strange dynamics and you know, kids pick up on everything. So when I was uh, when I was uh, in partnership, I would always feel possessive because I, I I grew up sort of scared that the people weren't going to be loyal and there was going to be this uh, cheating. And I would have never been able to tell you what jealousy felt like because I would have only experienced resistance to jealousy and the ways in which I dealt with jealousy, which were sort of convincing myself there was nothing to be jealous about, or playing victim, or blaming, or then. Show, sort of going to the opposite end of the world. Oh, I'm going to be the one that cheats. Or all these ways in which I did not want to experience what I was ultimately running away from. But when I finally experienced jealousy in my body, it was this deep, energetic cringe in the pit of my belly. And it was liberating to finally allow myself to experience that. Mm. And to realize, oh, this, is, this energy in my body is what I've been running away from all along. And once I was able to do that, I was like, oh, I can do that with everything. Yeah. Yeah. What are you, what are you hoping that people will um, benefit by reading your book, The Mystery of You? I would, I would hope that they realize that so much is possible for them, that the status quo uh, is not necessarily the only way to go about doing things. And that there are very practical ways in which we can start to discover a peace and an inner freedom from which incredible creative power can get unleashed. And that they realize that it's, this is not sort of a becoming a monk type of route. This is very practical in your day-to-day. And all of this will make you sort of a, a more empowered, more resourceful businessman, partner, parents friends yeah so don't and, <laughs> don't look at it but don't approach it like it's 
spiritual mumbo jumbo, but rather yeah, it's um, very grounded. Yeah, it's very, we hear a lot of real. big business people now, you know, talking about spirituality and and how they've found this level of spirituality that's helped unlocked even uh, more greatness within them. Um, and I think of Tony Robbins when I think of this because I've just read of one of his new books and he certainly um, talks about this a lot too. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a partner with uh, Peter Diamandis who wrote that book with, with Tony on a, on a venture fund and, and we talk a lot about disrupting things and yeah. and I think part of the, the challenge both in sort of the technology space and the venture fund space but also in the, in the I'm going to call it the self-help or the self-growth space is that terms start becoming trite and spirituality and awakening and start becoming concepts. And there's a part of us, uh, what kind of what happened with me and, and God at one point where I started relating to the word as I lost the contact with what it was pointing to. And it became this, this thing that I was reacting to and spirituality can become that for a lot of people where it's merely oh, it's spiritual. It's like, that's woo woo. Uh, yeah. So I think the invitation is no. It's very ground. It's very scientific in a way. Mm. It's 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 quite science based. When we talk about oneness, all we're talking about is look close enough. And the only difference between us is that our sub subatomic particles are sort of oscillating more densely or less densely here than over there, and that just means that ultimately it's all energy. So it's all one. Yeah. And that's not a not a spiritual thing. That's just a very practical. Uh, oh, a lot of science about it, yeah. you know, they're doing a lot, a lot yeah. more science and studies and all that in this topic. Um, did you find that, um, I suppose, a level of limitlessness when you tap into what you're talking about? I, I feel that just based on what you've been saying is that that's the level of freedom. It's like this feeling that I could actually do anything now because there's no restrictions, yeah. there's no bubble. It's just me and now and this it opens it all up. It becomes this, all the limitations, all the ideas that I had of what I could or should or would just collapse. And then it just becomes this, this open canvas of possibilities. Hmm. And it's, 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 there's a saying, it's like, as long as you think of yourself as the, as just the wave and not the entirety of the ocean, you will be thrown around and seasick. Right. And it's like, when you get that, you are the whole ocean. It's like, oh, what kind of wave do I want to show up as? I'm not limited by sort of this form that I was born into that I subscribe to as being unlimited by. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Certainly um, something I can resonate with, I'm sure a lot of people listening out there can. The book is available on Amazon. I'll stick a link in the show notes. The Mystery of You, Freedom is Closer Than You Think. Uh, Emilio, thanks for coming on and sharing today. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. Enjoyed what can people do to reach out? Sorry, Emilio, just before we go. Um, is there any ways they can connect online? Yeah, there's a URL. It's a, a website called emiliosbook.com. Emilio's book, and, okay. And they, uh, and they have some blogs, some writings. I also, all the sales of the book go to a foundation that uh, develops curriculum for well-being in schools for children. So. Nice, nice. Yeah. Many things at the moment, by the sounds of it, which is fantastic and uh, very leveled. I appreciate you coming on today, Emilio. And guys, check it out at thehiddenwide.com. Um, until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. 
Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwhy.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwhy.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon